episode number 19 of the Mosin at Large podcast is here. Lots of tech topics to talk about today. We'll also have a little look at the impeachment. We'll talk about moving house. And I'll explain why those who tell you that this is the beginning of a new decade are just flat out wrong. Mosin at Large podcast. To be in touch with the show, we're delighted to hear from you. You can attach an audio clip or write something down and send it into Jonathan. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at mushroomfm.com. You can also call the listener line. That number's in the United States, so if you're calling from outside of the U.S., international charges will apply, unfortunately. 864-60-MOSIN is that number. That's 864-606-6736. It is so good to be back after a nice long break. I enjoyed the break, though. And it's interesting how psychology works, because when I was working with technology full time, I wanted to really take a break from it over my summer. When I was doing Mosin Consulting or Freedom or Humanware or whatever, I would just try and I'd use my phone to read books and things, but I wouldn't really get into tech very much. And of course, now I don't work with technology for a living. And what I found was I was really enjoying just getting into geekdom again and trying all sorts of new things. We bought Bonnie a new laptop over the summer period because for the second time, she had this issue where she had a Lenovo ThinkPad X1 and she'd only had it a fairly short time. I think we bought it in 2017, if I remember correctly. And then when she was in journalism school, so that was in 2018, She found that the battery life was just going very, very bad, and she managed to get it plugged in or use it on battery until her course completed, but then we took it in, and I said to them, we have law in New Zealand called the Consumer Guarantees Act, and I said to them that under that act, you would expect a battery in a new laptop to last a lot longer than this, and they said, yes, that's fair enough, and so they replaced the battery, but... She's got some sort of weird version of the ThinkPad X1 Carbon here in New Zealand where it has to get sent off. I think it might have, it might even have to take that slow boat to China or whatever. She got it back actually reasonably quickly and then we soldiered on. Well, exactly the same battery problem has emerged a little over a year later. And I said to Bonnie again, you know, the issue is that it's the battery that's the problem. And the battery is only a year old. And again, they should replace it for you for free. But one of the interesting things was, because it was a slightly obscure model for whatever reason, I don't know what they were doing selling us this obscure model. They said, it's going to have to be repaired in China. And because of the Lunar New Year, that could take some time. And so we thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll get it repaired, but we might cut our losses and give Bonnie a laptop that she can rely on. So we did some research. I know that there are quite a few people who like laptops with full-size number pads. Bonnie's got one at work. I don't really know why that is anymore, because with JAWS, your, your laptop layout is so good and comprehensive. And I actually, even on a desktop computer, I'm sitting here in the studio in front of a clicky mechanical keyboard and it's a a full-sized keyboard but I use the JAWS laptop layout on it anyway because it's just so convenient because you don't take your hands off the home row so the lack of a number pad isn't an issue for either of us one thing that I really do prefer is dedicated home end page up and page down keys and Bonnie preferred that too otherwise sometimes what happens is you hold the FN key down or you don't hold the FN key down depending on your setting 
and you use F9 and F10 or some other funky keys like that. The Microsoft Surface Book was like that. The Dell SPX13 is like that. Or is it XPS? I always get those numbers. I think it's XPS13. That's like that too. It comes quite highly recommended, but that was one of the reasons why we ruled the Dell out of contention, plus the speakers on them are pretty dodgy. Quite a few laptop speakers are pretty dodgy. And um, we debated, does she want 4G again? Because her Lenovo laptop does have 4G and it's quite handy to just whip it out and get going anywhere that you've got a cellular connection. But Bonnie decided it wasn't a showstopper. So in the end, we ended up with the HP Spectre 360. I later found out that there's a new 4G model of that laptop, which is not in New Zealand yet or wasn't when we were looking in December. But it is in the States. So it's a nice laptop. Again, it has this awful real tech driver issue that is plaguing so many of us on Windows. And what they seem to do is they put a registry key in there that causes the sound card to hibernate really quickly. So you just have to have your screen reader not talking for a very short period. And then when you try and query it again, the little, the first bit of what your screen reader has said to you isn't heard because the sound card's waking up. It's a horrible thing. So we installed Silenzio, which fixes that issue by basically sending silence to the sound card. So that's good. And it's a very nice machine. We do like this HP Spectre 360. I still like my my, my leather HP Spectre Folio. It's a very classy looking laptop, but actually Bonnie's laptop is a little bit faster than mine. It's got a newer processor and it's a bit faster. So... How about that? So that was the that was the first geeking out that we did. I've also spent a lot of time with Reaper over the summer, really getting into Reaper and just deciding. You know, I've been I've been producing stuff in Reaper for quite a long time, but for certain things, I would revert to Studio Recorder or whatever. But now I'm exclusively in Reaper, and uh, those who are listening to the podcast will be delighted about that because it means that it is pretty easy for me to segment. The podcast by chapter. Jonathan Mosen, Mosen at Large Podcast. I must say that I wasn't sure how kind of sprightly I would be on the show today. Do you ever have that thing when you're going to sleep? And I think it depends on how much you have on your mind, you know? Sometimes if I if I've got stuff on my mind, I get jolted awake by something, or I have some sort of weird half awake, half asleep almost a dreamlike thing that can be quite scary. And I wake up and I get my act together and I go back to sleep again. I was pretty drifted off. And then I thought I f- heard this rumbling sound. I thought, that's weird, you know, in a kind of a half dreamy state. Next thing I know, rattle, rattle, rumble, roll. And we were in the middle of a good old fashioned New Zealand earthquake at about 1130 Last night, 5.3 on the Richter scale and the depth was only 100 kilometers. So, you know, that's pretty shallow and that's why even a 5.3 shakes you up. So it does it does wake you up, especially when you think about the big, boofy Sonos Play 5 that's on a mount just behind your head. Sonos keeps falling on my head. Yeah, so that took me a while. You know, the adrenaline gets pumping when uh, the house is rattling and everything's rattling, and you know, and, and and it took me a couple of hours to get back to sleep. Carolyn Pete says I did a Windows update on my Lenovo, and now I have to sign in twice. 
Microsoft really bugs me at times. Well, I don't know what would be the cause of that, Carolyn, but one thing you could do is call the Microsoft Disability Answer Desk. I think they do a really good job. I've had good luck with the Disability Answer Desk, and it is really nice to call somewhere where they know about blindness and screen readers and you don't have to explain, I can't see the squiggly thing and I can't click on this. And, you know, they talk in a keyboard-centric way and they've been well-trained. And the other thing I also like is that you can call the Disability Answer Desk through the free Be My Eyes app. And I don't do it for the video. I do it because the audio quality is so good. And sometimes when you call these helplines, you get quite bad audio, you know what I mean? Quite bad audio. And um, it can be hard, especially if, especially if you have a hearing impairment, to hear what people are saying. So if you can call in to the Disability Answer Desk with Be My Eyes, you get good crystal clear audio, and you can still have them remote into the machine and see if they can work out what's going on. So uh, if you haven't tried that, Carolyn, you should give it a try and uh, report back. Let us know how it went. Wyatt Rose says, just curious Water. Well, there you go. I like that use of the apostrophe. What are you using to segment your podcasts? Well, I have been playing a lot with different Reaper plugins, compression options. And in fact, there's a really cool part of the Cocos. Is that how you pronounce their company name? Website called the Reaper Stash. And in the Reaper stash, you can get all sorts of things and you can get an effects chain or two or three, which uh, you can apply. And it basically chains a bunch of effects together with parameters. And I found a couple that are really good, including one that was designed by a broadcaster for spoken word broadcasting. And it does sound pretty good. But for all the playing that I've done, nothing comes close to the magic of Orphonic. Orphonic is a tool that has two ways of interacting with it. And then within those two ways, there are subgroups again. You can interact with it completely as a web service. And if you use that at Orphonic, that's A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C.com. If you go to Orphonic.com, you get two free hours a month, which is a good way to try the service. And if you're only doing an occasional podcast, it'll be adequate. And what you do is you feed your preferably lossless audio. It could be a WAV file or a FLAC file to Orphonic, and it processes it for you. It does noise gating, it does noise reduction, it does leveling, and you can also download, after you've purchased it, an app that does this on your PC, but what you do find is that there are a few features that are only on the web version, and also the web version gets updated always first. So I've mainly get, been getting into the web version of it. Orphonic is a great service, and then within those two types, you have a single track implementation of Orphonic and a multi-track. The multi-track is brilliant. So you can send several tracks all in sync, of course. So you stem the tracks if you're using Reaper and you send multiple tracks to the Orphonic multi-track service and it builds you a single mix of all of those tracks. It does cross-gate stuff to eliminate crosstalk. It's a really good service. And to answer your question, finally, what I do with the web-based version of Orphonic is that you can export your bookmarks in Reaper as an, I think it's a CSV file. And then you can import that CSV file into Orphonic and it builds the chapter marks for you and embeds them into the MP3. So there you go. You may well be sorry you ask now. Andy, he says, sup, yo, sup, dude. Happy Sunday. 
Well, happy Saturday to you, Andy. Just tuned in. I do wonder how many people would be listening to this malarkey if the impeachment was still going. I don't think I'd be listening to myself if the impeachment hearing was still going. Carolyn Pete says, I did that. Noob. No, she didn't actually say noob. She's already contacted the disability answer desk. Um, impressed with the service, she says, this is a known MS problem. Now, a level two tech will call early on Tuesday. Mate, you've got a genuine level two problem there. Well, there seems to be a bit of a minimalism craze sweeping the Western world right now. What's her name? Marie Condi or something? Everybody's talking about her. So proponents of that will be happy to know that I've been minimizing my news sources. I've been doing it by deleting any publication from my RSS reader that claims that 2020 is the beginning of a new decade. It is not. And that's a mathematical fact that isn't even debatable. In this scary era of alternative facts, it seems like anybody can get away with writing and believing anything they like when it's flat out wrong. If they get something as simple as the beginning of a decade wrong, why should I trust them with more complex issues in the news? I first want to make a clear distinction between fact and opinion. It's a matter of opinion that the politician you loathe the most is the worst politician in the world, the worst politician to hold the position that they currently hold ever in history. It's subjective, so measurements can vary. It's a matter of fact that in the Celsius scale, zero is freezing and 100 is boiling. It's a matter of opinion that Apple wouldn't be here today if Steve Jobs hadn't returned. It's quite likely true, but it's hypothetical, so we can't know for sure. It's a matter of fact that if I eat food, I'm consuming calories. It's a matter of opinion that the New Zealand dollar, based on quality forecasts, is going to depreciate against the US dollar. It's a matter of fact that 50 cents plus 50 cents equals $1. It's a matter of opinion that snow is horrible. It's a matter of fact that snow is cold. It's a matter of fact that there was no year zero AD. It's a matter of fact that the calendar went from 1 BC to 1 AD. It's a matter of fact that there are 10 years in a decade. I mean, decade is just a fancy way of saying 10 years. Therefore, it's a matter of fact that the first decade of this era began in the year 1 and it ended at the end of the year 10. It therefore follows that every decade ends with a year ending in zero. The new millennium and decade and century began on the 1st of January 2001, since all decades begin in years starting with one, and the decade ended on the 31st of December 2010. The next decade, the one we are in now, began on the 1st of January 2011, and it'll end on the 31st of December 2020. Now, these are facts, and several quality websites will confirm them for you, such as the U.S. Farmer's Almanac. I'm heartened by the fact that readers and listeners are now pushing back against ignorant media people who continue to advance the false narrative that the decade ends a year earlier than it actually does. So what happens to people like me and the many others who are now pushing back on this who simply point out an undisputed mathematical fact? Well, the first thing that happens is that genuinely interested people 
seem to have trouble grasping a very simple mathematical concept, which all stems from there being no year zero BC or AD. It makes sense. It would have been a nonsense to have a year zero. Sometimes people who aren't genuinely interested in the truth are convinced. There was a guy who wrote an end-of-decade retrospective, and quite a few people wrote to him to say that he was a year early. The journalist sat down to write an article which was going to explain why these people were mistaken. But the more research he did, the more he realized that he was wrong and his readers, who pointed out his error, were right. But what did he do? Did he write an I'm sorry I won't do this again. You are absolutely right and I've been educated. No, he did not. He wrote a rebuttal conceding the point. But then he did what a lot of people have done to me. He basically said, yeah, okay, you're right. Who cares? So what? We've all decided the decade ends a year earlier now. Culture supersedes numbers, they argue. And culture says the decade starts in years ending in zero. Well, culture once said that the earth was flat, and actually there's still a flat earth society, and while we shrug our shoulders and think whatever, we don't let the flat earthers try and tell us that it doesn't matter whether the planet's round or not. Galileo was persecuted for pointing out the fact that the earth revolves around the sun. Public opinion of the time thought the opposite, and the all-powerful clergy. So be very careful of simply accepting mob rule when the facts say something different. Now, I'm not at all suggesting that if people want to celebrate the fact that the year has clicked over from 19 to 20, that they shouldn't. Any time's a good time for a party, right? But it's not the new decade. I absolutely understand that any period of 10 years is a decade, For that matter, any period of 100 years is a century. In 2022, for example, it'll be a century since the BBC was founded. And it'll be a decade since I met my beautiful Bonnie. But there's a difference between celebrating a decade and the decade. When we talk about the decade or the century, we clearly are referring to the current Western calendar. And there's only one factual answer to the question, When does the decade begin and end in our calendar? If we buy into this idea that the decade begins in years ending in zero now, we would have to accept that some year along the line, there was a nine-year decade, which of course is a complete oxymoron. You can't have a nine-year decade because decade means ten years. There is nowhere in history where a nine-year decade was ever officially decreed or recorded. It didn't happen. Someone wrote to me with the incredible argument that the decade begins in 2020 because their Amazon Echo said it did. (laughs) As if somehow the Amazon Echo is infallible. With a recent poll showing that over 60% of Americans incorrectly believe that the decade starts a year early, it's no wonder that the soup drinker is scraping a site with the wrong information. Google Assistant, on the other hand, gets it right. Why does it matter? Because numbers matter and facts matter. So much of our advancement as a species has depended on mathematics and science. And to tell our kids that the decade ends a year earlier than it does is wrong and lazy. 
I wish I could remember the book. Someone may be able to assist me with this. I think it was an Arthur C. Clarke sci-fi book. It might have been 3001. Didn't he write a book called that? And there's a section there where everybody's laughing about the fact that in 2000, we celebrated the millennium a year early. We will eventually wake up and this current generation will look pretty silly. Can you imagine what would have happened to the Apollo astronauts if calculation had been wrong by one digit? It also matters because it's wrong to vilify people who have committed no greater crime than pushing back against an epidemic of factual inaccuracy. We may have been bullied and told to shut up this year, but our reward is coming. What's nice is that those of us who know when the decade really ends still have our celebration, our end of decade celebration, our beginning of new decade celebration to come. You can be sure that when the end of this decade is close, I'll be doing end of decade retrospectives on the show and mentioning the facts regularly on social media. Facts matter, and it's shameful that so many people want to shut down people who have the undisputed facts on their side. If you know the facts and have felt intimidated about pointing them out, don't be. When people are telling you to get over it and move on and shut up, it takes courage to hold firm and communicate the facts. More power to you. Peggy Kern says, I thought the impeachment trial was happening today as well, and that they were taking Sunday off. At least that is what I heard on the noose. I'm not watching it. What? You're not watching it? I'm riveted. It's annoying because it comes on at 7am my time because uh, John Roberts, of course, he's got a morning job at the Supreme Court. He must be a little bit tired, mustn't he? Because he, he trots off to his work at the Supreme Court and does his thing there. And then he goes there and presides. And originally, of course, the McConnell resolution that was introduced was suggesting that the Democrats... House managers would have their 24 hours, but they would have to do it over two days. And when you factor the breaks into account and the fact that they don't start until one in the afternoon, that would have averaged 12 hours a day with breaks added. So you could have had the impeaching going on until 3, 3.30 in the morning. And uh, some Republicans revolted about that and said, you can't do this, Mitch. You can't do that. It's really funny hearing... Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer talking because they they sound such almost like cartoon like caricatures of of their regions you know the 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 archetypal southerner and and the 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 brash New Yorker you know it's hilarious but yes they were meeting today because the chief justice didn't have uh, his day job today because it's Saturday they convened at ten a.m. but the Trump defense only kept them there for a couple of hours and then they said, okay, off you go. And then, of course, what happened? Well, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Amy Klobuchar said, one more, yeah, they all had their running shoes on and they sprinted off to Iowa. That's what they did because the caucuses are coming up. So, yeah, the impeach the impeachment was on, but um, it, it didn't last very long today. The series to be continued on Monday U.S. time and, of course, it'll be interesting to see whether... Eventually, we get witnesses. It is it is fascinating. Uh, he's quite the orator, that Adam Schiff, isn't he? He's quite the orator. He's, he's, he's uh, really got a, a nice turn of phrase when he gets going. Thomas Upton says that time is tight. My life 
Note by Note by Booker T. Jones. Uh, it's now available on Bard. So presumably it's available in other places as well for many listeners around the world who don't have access to Bard. Musical memoirs are interesting, aren't they? At the recommendation of several listeners, I did listen over the summer finally to Janice Ian's autobiography called Society's Child. And I'm not a big audiobook fan. I prefer to crank my speech way up. But when an author is reading their own material, I do enjoy the audiobook. And so I heard Janice Ian's narration of it on Audible. And I think she got a Grammy for that. It's brilliant. I was just riveted to it. I think I read the whole thing in a session, and it's quite a long book, but it was really good. And she's in the studio with a guitar, so she plays occasionally. She talks, obviously, about some of the songs that she wrote and how they came about. It's really interesting to hear the story of how Society's Child by Janice Ian, which she wrote when she was about 14 years old, was such a controversial song that she was taunted and yelled at with racist slurs in live performances. She's had a very difficult life from time to time. She was in an incredibly abusive marriage uh, where her life was threatened. Uh, She lost everything in an IRS scam just riveting. So if you like Janice Egan's music, and what a gifted singer-songwriter she is. Her lyrics are just so poignant and make you think. Then definitely check out Society's Chart. And I don't know a lot about Booker T. Jones, but I do like the groovy organ music he makes. So I might have to check out that uh, memoir, Time is Tight. Also, Ian Lackey is in touch. Hi, Ian. Happy New Year to you. He says, I have been listening to an excellent, excellent podcast called American Elections, The Wicked Game. I have learned a lot. The next episode to come, he says, is about the 1856 election. Super duper. Thank you. That sounds like a podcast that I would really enjoy. And now that I have Castro as my podcast player, what I'm finding is that I'm subscribing to a lot more podcasts because it's just so easy to see all your episodes in your inbox and very quickly, efficiently discard the podcast that you don't want. It is a fantastic app and so accessible too. So I will definitely subscribe to that podcast, Ian. It sounds like something that I would enjoy. Regarding the impeachment, Gino J says it's sad. Anyone that thinks the Democrats will win this impeachment case is crazy. The Republicans are blocking new witnesses and without them, they don't stand a chance, which is depressing. Sometimes, he says, I feel like American politics is ridiculous. Well, I think there will be pressure building. Time will tell, of course. I think there will be pressure building to at least hear witnesses because the polling data is very clear that the vast majority of Americans and almost a majority of Republicans, I think the last polling data I saw was 48% of Republicans, want witnesses. And you have to be seen to be delivering due process. And I don't think there was ever any doubt that Trump wouldn't be convicted. It's a high bar, two-thirds of the Senate, and it should be to overturn the Democratic will of the people, even though, of course, about three million more people voted for Hillary Clinton than Donald Trump in the first place. But such is the antiquity of the U.S. Electoral College system. Um, but, uh, you know, under the system, he he won fair and square. Whether you think the system's a good one is another matter, but he, he won under the system. But you've got to make sure you are seen to be delivering due process. Otherwise, it could backfire. So the stakes are high 
for both because, of course, on the flip side of the coin, you've got people who say, well, you could backfire on the Democrats when people say you don't trust us to express our verdict at the forthcoming election, which is only months away. And, of course, their counter-argument is, well, the trouble is the election's being interfered with, so it won't be a fair election. It's, it's absolutely fascinating to watch. Jonathan Mosin, Mosin at Large Podcast. I have a question. It's something that occurred to me over the break. In New Zealand, we have a really cool scheme, which we advocated for many years ago now, almost 40 years ago, called Total Mobility. And the way it works is that you carry a swipe card in most places now. Some parts of New Zealand still use paper vouchers. And with a few anomalies, you generally get 50% off your taxi fare. And it really makes a huge difference to integration in society and just being able to afford to get somewhere. It's great. Well, I don't use Total Mobility anymore because I use Uber pretty much exclusively. They gave me a deal to get to and from my office, which is usually cheaper than Total Mobility anyway. So even with a 50% discount applied to my taxi fare, Uber is still cheaper. And I like the experience. I like being able to just get in the back of an Uber, get out knowing that I've already paid and get on with my day. And I, I really like the Uber experience overall. I've had some glitches with Uber from time to time, but I've had glitches with taxi services as well. Where I'm going with this, though, is I realized the only reason why, really, I need to carry my wallet around is when I was using Total Mobility. Because if I go out to lunch, I pay with Apple Pay. I don't need my wallet when I'm in an Uber because it's all just charged to your card. I very seldom carry cash because I don't have a need to hand cash out. And yet I can't bring myself to leave my wallet at home. And I'm wondering why that is. It's just a habitual thing, isn't it? And I wondered whether any of our tech-savvy, geekery listeners have taken the plunge and whether you now leave home without your wallet specifically because you've now got some sort of payment system on your mobile device, whether it be Apple Pay or Android Pay or whatever. And of course, I not only have it on my phone, I have it on my watch the new cellular Apple Watch. So thinking about it logically, and sometimes logics do not always trump habit, I don't know why I'm carrying my wallet with me. It's a completely redundant thing. It's another thing to potentially lose. I've got what I need right on my phone and my watch. Anybody else going walletless or purseless or whatever the case may be? Jonathan, hey. this is Bobby Vinton. I haven't called you in a while, and I'm happy you bought so much new technology. I'm using the brand new Microsoft Edge browser, and I love it so much. But my question is, when will it come to Windows Update? Uh, I just was wondering. All right. Bye, Jonathan. Good talking to you. Yeah, good, good talking to you, Bobby. Bye. Well, I believe that the update is being rolled out soon. It's being progressively rolled out. I don't know precisely when that is going to happen, but I believe it is imminent. But if you do want to get the new Microsoft Edge, then you can, of course, go and obtain that from the Microsoft website. If you just Google or whatever your search engine is of choice, 
on Microsoft Edge, Chromium, or even just Microsoft Edge, I think, because so many people are getting it that you will find it pretty much top of the list. You'll find it there. You can download it. There are a couple of little glitches with screen readers at the moment, I believe. And certainly in the February update of JAWS, I understand they're going to be addressing those. But it is a nice browser. And you can also get Microsoft Edge for iOS. They now have bookmark syncing. Uh, They call them favorites, just like they used to in Internet Explorer. And it is really responsive. It's nice and gentle on the battery, much more so than Chrome. I talked about Googling or whatever you use. Over the summer, I have been having a serious play with DuckDuckGo. I'm conflicted about the whole Google thing because I know that Google is collecting all sorts of data. And it is one of the reasons why even if Android accessibility was as good as iOS and it's not, I would still be a little bit reluctant to jump into the Google ecosystem. On the other hand, it is kind of nice what Google knows about you, because if a website has to make a living and they do that by serving up ads, it is kind of nice to see ads that at least you know you're interested in. So I do feel a bit conflicted about that. And I know that when I use Google Maps, which I still believe is a superior product to maps on Uh, iOS, the Apple Maps, they're collecting all sorts of location information and things, and some people should be worried. And I understand why they are, so I'm not poo-pooing it, but I do genuinely feel conflicted. But over the summer, I did play with DuckDuckGo. It's quite a good search engine, very accessible, and you can get it by going to DuckDuckGo.com, or you can just also now go to Duck.com. For a long time, Google owned the domain name Duck.com, which was a bit controversial. But uh, Google has now handed duck.com over to them. You can specify that DuckDuckGo should be your default search engine in pretty much any browser if you want to try it. And one of the things that they have is these exclamation mark commands. So you go into your edit box on the DuckDuckGo website, or you can even, if you've got DuckDuckGo as your default search engine, you can do it from the address bar. And you can type the exclamation mark and then like a a little short code and it searches specific websites or services. They've got one for Wikipedia. They have got one for Google itself and you can do it all from the DuckDuckGo website. It's quite nice. And they promise they don't track you. They're not interested in that. They've definitely got their brand going on as being the good guys. So if you have switched to DuckDuckGo, I would be interested in knowing how that's going, how that's DuckDuck going for you. Gino J says, I couldn't do it. This is the question of, would you leave your wallet behind? First and foremost, he says, there's the fact that I like to have my ID on me, regardless of where I'm going. Other than that, there are still a few things I have to use, certain cards for different shops and whatnot. There you go. So he couldn't do it. Could you? Could you leave your wallet behind at home? There you go. I've been thinking, says Christopher Duffley, about Apple Pay for a while now and haven't called the bank yet, which is something I've got to put on my Todoist inbox. I did at least add it to wallet, though, which at least is one step in the right direction. Well, here Apple Pay is incredibly easy to activate. You just put the card in. If your card is Apple Pay compatible, they will ask you to authenticate. And usually that's by text message or email your choice and then you're up and running so it's incredibly easy to get up and running 
with Apple Pay. You mentioned the Todoist inbox. We've been going through a bit of what I call family technology consolidation over the summer. One of the things we did was I purchased a family plan to one password. Whatever you use, do use a password manager. You know, in the era in which we live, it's so dangerous to have a password that you use on multiple websites, you know, dodgy, because websites can get compromised. Some of the biggest websites around have been compromised. And then if you use that same password everywhere, people do go harvesting. And with a password manager, and there are several good ones around, it's so easy. You don't have to. I'm, I only really remember one password now, which is the password to get me into one password. And so I bought a family plan and we got Bonnie on one password and worked on some cybersecurity there. We also turned on, of course, two factor authentication. So now we have one password throughout the family and I uh, am offering it to all the bananas. Richard's using another one. I think he's using Dashlane or LastPass or one of those, and that's fine. I mean, as long as you have a password manager, uh, that's that's the most important thing. As part of the sort of family consolidation, I also looked at other apps that Bonnie and I might share to facilitate the smooth running of Mosin Towers. Because you see, one of the advantages of one password as well, and I suspect other password managers do it too, is that you can have shared vaults. So Bonnie and I, for example, we shop online at a supermarket and the password that we use on the supermarket website is in a shared vault. So both Bonnie and I can log in using one password just by pressing the key. So it's genius and we have a number of those passwords for accounts that we use jointly that we have on our machines. Really good. So then I thought, what else can we do like that? So I've done two things. I have actually abandoned Todoist. Over the summer, I took some time to really play with the Apple Reminders app, which was completely rewritten in iOS 13. Now, it is a bit idiosyncratic. It's a bit quirky. And it uses a methodology for natural language completion that's a little bit different. With apps like Todoist and Fantastical, which is another great calendar app that I use all the time, which use natural language, they essentially just pass it right away. With the Reminders app, what they do is they have a little thing at the top of the virtual keyboard where you have to basically double tap the suggestion that they think you're getting at to execute on it. And there are a couple of other quirks with it as well. But the nice thing is it's on everybody's device if you have an iPhone. And we set up a Mosin Towers list in the Apple Reminders app. And Bonnie and I now have reminders like which week for different types of recycling it is and taking out a cooler for a service that we use that delivers meals during the week when we're too busy and various other things that either of us can take responsibility for. And we have them in a joint list. She sees the reminders. I do too. We get a push notification. And then whichever of us gets to it first, we mark as completed. Genius. The only thing I had to deal with that gave me pause for thought is I do like the label feature in Todoist. And I've mentioned this before on the show that with Todoist, you can have tasks in a project that are assigned to multiple labels. And then, so in my case, I have one-on-one -on -one meetings with my staff and I bring up their label. And sometimes a task is assigned to multiple labels. So it's a really good setup. 
I've had to do things slightly differently now, and I have a list for each of my staff members, which is not quite as efficient, but it's a compromise I'm prepared to make because the Siri support in the Apple Reminders app is also very good. And I'm just finding I'm using it a little bit more because it's so easy to use. Then I thought, all right, let's get another pain point dealt with, and this is the shopping list. So sometimes when we're out of something, usually I have to say it is Bonnie who's kind enough to do the supermarket shopping. So I say to Bonnie, we're out of whatever it is, and she will try and remember. And we're all only human, right? So we, we she tries to remember. And next time we do a shop, she will add it, if I'm lucky. So then I found this app called AnyList, and AnyList is 100% accessible. I might do a demo of this at some point, and you can share lists with people, and it's ideal. It was actually built for shopping lists, but some people use it for other things as well. So Bonnie and I um, got on AnyList. There's a really reasonably priced AnyList family plan that you can get on, and all they request is, you know, they're independent third-party developers please be sure that the person who you're sharing it with really is in your household, and that's fair enough. And it integrates with the soup drinker and their shopping list feature. So you can ask your soup drinker to add items to your shopping list that you're sharing, in my case that I'm sharing with Bonnie, and it just automatically does it, and it's on the phone, and you can check the list off. Uh, It's got Siri support, so you can very easily add with Siri, and you can do it manually on your phone. So basically all the things that we interact with on a regular basis, we have the ability to add to the shopping list, and we can both do it. So whichever of us is going to do the shop, We've got the stuff there. I'm using DuckDuckGo now, says Andy. It's rather cool, he says. I haven't really noticed any significant difference from Google. It can define words, etc., etc. It is pretty good, isn't it? I suppose the one thing is that because it doesn't track you, it won't learn about your preferences over time. So that is a good thing in some ways, I think. It, it, It... avoids that kind of bias that we get into where we see search results. Um, It also, I think its algorithms are more skewed to fact. So for example, if you Google about when the next decade begins, you get all a lot of lies at the top. But with DuckDuckGo, you don't. You you get actual facts to much, much more quickly. And I suspect that's because of the way that Google influences search engine ranking. Christopher says, how do you use a joint list and reminders? Couldn't obviously find it in the regular reminder editing screen. I think you have to create a new list and then you can share it with someone at that point. We created a new list called Mosin Towers and then you just say it's a shared one and you invite people to the list. It's jolly good, actually. Apple's done a very good job with the new reminders app in iOS 13. Oh, hello, Donovan. This is Michael, and Happy New Year. Yeah, you got your speech cranked up there, Michael. Heard your voice for a long time, and I... How is that Backpack Studio actually going on with you? Because how are you feeling it? Is it a good tool uh, for beginner podcaster to use? Because I will be hosting my own podcast. And... Is that a good tool for beginner uh, podcasters? Also, I am recording this piece of uh, audio clip on my new HP Envy 
you know, those kind of laptop and tablet combo where you flip 60, uh, 360 degrees to a, and turns into a laptop and bend another 360 to turn them into a tablet. I really love those models, so I, this is my second laptop that's this kind of model. It's running the latest i7 processor. Congratulations on your new device. It's always nice to have a new device. Oh, that should be a song. It's nice to have a new device. Just don't spill it with lots of rice. What do you think? And I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to everybody. What, what, what do people think about touch in Windows? I love the iOS interface, and I don't usually find the touchscreen and encumbrance. I mean, obviously, I'll use Braille screen input now for most of my input. So I pretty much exclusively use my phone without any accessory now, thanks to Braille screen input. But touch on Windows for me has been a whole different ball of wax. I don't get on well with touch on Windows. I find it unwieldy. I find that quite a lot of manufacturers, the sensitivity just isn't there. I have a laptop, which like yours, Michael, kind of it folds down. You know, I've got this HP Spectrefolio and I like the laptop and it's got a touchscreen. And occasionally I'll try and think, oh, I'm living the dream and I'll curl up on the couch with it and I'll read a Kindle book and I'll use the gesture to start continuous reading with uh, my Kindle book. And that's all very nice. But I can't really imagine just navigating around, doing a lot of work, clearing my email, all from the touchscreen. Is anybody doing that? And how's it going for you? Do you really think that from an accessibility point of view, from a functionality efficiency point of view, that touch in Windows is fit for purpose? As for your other question about Backpack Studio, if you haven't heard it already, check out episode 17. You'll learn the truth at 17 of the Mosin at Large podcast because it's devoted to Backpack Studio. And of course, I broadcast live with Backpack Studio on Mushroom FM early in the year. And I go through that in great detail about how I did that, how it all works. Backpack Studio could potentially be a very good way to start a podcast. I know you're a proficient iOS user, so that could be good. One of the things I really like about podcasting is that it has democratized audio production and distribution in the same way that internet streaming did. And people will go about podcasting in different ways. So because I have a radio background, I feel most comfortable in my studio in front of all my gear doing audio production on the PC and kind of whipping it into shape. But the thing is that that's only one way to do a podcast. And it does annoy me how some people kind of look down their noses at people who want to use different kind of technology that you wouldn't call traditional. Now, another example of this is Anchor. And again, Anchor is one of those services which has democratized podcast delivery because even when podcasting came along, and I've been podcasting since 2004, so it's a long time ago, the barriers to entry were still pretty high if you wanted to do it right, publish the content to the RSS feed, do all that kind of stuff. And services like Anchor, really also, just like Backpack Studio, democratize the process further. And I heard people saying on various podcasts about podcasting that I listened to, don't use Anchor, their terms of service are terrible and everything. And I read their terms of service and I was impressed that not only do they seem fairly reasonable to me, 
they have a section at the end of each section of their terms of service that decodes it into plain language. So it's easy for anybody to understand what the services are saying, what the terms of service are saying. And it's now become a lot more accessible than it used to. I haven't checked out the website very much, but I did have a look at the iOS app. It looks quite accessible now. So another thing you might want to look at, Michael, is Anchor if you want to do podcast production on your iPhone. For me, I would find it hard to go past on a regular basis working with Reaper or Studio Recorder if your needs are single track and uh, put your podcast together that way and go with a podcast host. I like Libsyn. They've been around a long time. They were the first podcast host that I ever used and they're still going and they're reliable. But there are many others that are apparently just as good and cheaper. There's a service called Pinecast that a lot of people seem to be talking about at the moment that is quite a good cost-effective podcast host. And apparently the support is good and they're quite helpful. So you might look at Pinecast and see if that might meet your needs. Also, shameless plug, and it is a couple of years old now, and I would like to update this one if I can, but there is a comprehensive series of webinars available for purchase from the Mosin Consulting website called Unleash Your Inner Podcast. And if you're interested in getting started with podcasting, this is a really good thing to get into because we talk about microphones, we talk about things you might want to consider. Uh, Neil Ewers is there giving all his sage advice about podcasting and microphones. I think it's a good listen and it's 60 US dollars. Unleash your inner podcast from Mosin.org. While we're talking about podcasting, I should also say that over the summer, I have finally surrendered. For a long time, I've been avoiding the idea of getting a dedicated digital audio recorder whose menus aren't fully accessible to me. And people who put professional material together have long said to me, what you need is a Zoom H6. And I say to them, do the menus wrap? Yes, they do. So you endlessly scroll through the menus and there's no beginning. And various things like that. And I thought, I really want to avoid this. What I can do on my iPhone in those situations when I want to record portably is becoming more capable. I purchased a Zoom U44. And I thought this would be the answer. I purchased this over the summer. It's a little audio interface and it can plug into your iPhone through the USB to lightning adapter that you can buy from Apple. And because there's not enough power on your iPhone to power this little device, you can put some AA batteries in it and get power when you're using it with your iPhone that way. And the cool thing about it is since it's a Zoom product, you can plug all the little Zoom mic capsules into it. And that's one of the things that has made the Zoom product so popular. These little swappable microphones that are kind of like camera lenses for a real high-quality XLR camera. So I thought, well, this is good. I can just use this on the iPhone with an accessible recorder. Yay, you know? And, of course, you can also plug in standard XLR microphones into this audio interface. But what I found was that there aren't many accessible apps that really make full use of all four channels, all four inputs. So it turned out to be a little bit of a bust for my use case. And I finally thought, look, I'm on holiday. I've got some time. All right, all right, I'll buy a Zoom H6. And all I can say is, why the heck didn't I buy it earlier? I love my Zoom H6. And Richard, the incredible audio engineering banana, who of course is now studying audio engineering, he helped me get 
to grips with this. He, he came over, you know, I called him up and I said, Richard, it's here, it's here. So he came over and we went through how to use the Zoom H6. And once you've got it set up, it's pretty easy. You do have to memorize how to turn it into a USB drive so you can get your files off it. But, yeah, that's not a big deal. Uh, generally, once it's set up, you don't have to do too much configuring. And the buttons are very straightforward on the machine for recording and playing back. And I have now made it play a little tone every time I start recording, just to be absolutely sure that it is recording. And I assembled a recording kit for this thing because I decided if I'm going to do it, let's do it right. So I purchased a couple of um, Samson Q2U microphones and they plug into the XLR inputs of the Zoom H6. They're pretty good mics, actually. They're, they're quite cheap, dynamic mics, but they sound good. And they also have the benefit of doing double duty. So as well as connecting them to XLR inputs, you can also connect them to a USB port of your computer. And you can do it at the same time. Genius! So you can actually be recording from a USB source or to a USB source, and an XLR source at the same time. And I got, yeah, they come with nice windshields and everything and little tabletop stands. And then um, I've got quite a few of the Zoom capsules for different occurrences, different scenarios. And then Richard said to me, what you need to do, Dad? Because I said, I, I've got to find a way of keeping all this together. He said, let's go and find a case and I'll custom make you, using little bits of foam and that sort of stuff, a kit specifically for your mobile recording endeavours. So we've got this really nice hard shell waterproof case that we got from a place in New Zealand called Surplustronics. And it came with a whole lot of foam. Richard cut the foam so that there were little inlets for each of the accessories I carry around. The two mics, the zoom recorder, various cables and adapters, and they all sit snugly in this custom-made foam, very protected hard shell case. And so my mobile recording kit is all just in one place and I can take it with me now. And the reason why I'm doing this now is because it's election year in New Zealand and the Mahi podcast that I do for Workbridge, the organization of which I'm chief executive, we hope to be talking to politicians about disability employment. We did some of the stuff in the blind side in 2017 and I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with the quality of the audio because I was using a Blue Yeti um, and the, the various you know, patterns that they have to record some distance away but of course that's a condenser mic and when you get into parliament you've got air conditioning going and room ambience and it just I wasn't happy this is going to sound absolutely fantastic recording with the zoom h6 and these very directional dynamic mics it's going to be sweet so I should not have held out for so long I am very happy I, I have my Zoom H6. The microphones do plug in with that same little adapter to the iPhone, by the way, no power required. So if you're just doing a one-on-one -on -one recording, you can take your iPhone with a good recording app like Ferrite or Twisted Wave or HokuSai and um, record yourself in the field with a really good quality mic. So I am absolutely delighted with what I've ended up with. My Zoom H6, the hard shell case, all the accessories all in one place ready to go on the road and make a real kick-butt recording whenever I want. I shouldn't have held out on this for so long. Mosin at Large Podcast! I am about to buy, thanks to Bonnie, who's heading out to get it for me, but she also wants to have a look at a coffee machine, to be fair. <laughs> I'm about to buy a Sonos port, 
This is the upgraded version of the Sonos Connect. And the big advantage, other than slightly better audio quality, newer components, the big advantage of this new Sonos port is that it's AirPlay capable. When I'm reading a book in Voice Dream Reader or listening to a radio station through Apple's Music app, which plays so many radio stations now with a simple Siri command, I can append the Sonos port onto it, you know, so play whatever on the Sonos port, whatever I choose to call it. And the nice thing is that my Sonos Connect has been where I've connected my Otacon TV adapter. So I can listen to TV through the Sonos ecosystem, but I can also listen to anything through the Sonos ecosystem. And the audio quality of this is just a bit better than the MFI specification. So you just get slightly better quality. You can wander around the house without having to carry your phone with you. It's gentler on your phone's battery. And I think it'll just be a really good experience to have this new Sonos port. So I am still in the Sonos ecosystem big time. We have a lot of Sonos gear here. In fact, when I had to call Sonos Tech Support, and it's the one time I've ever had such a problem that I've had to call them, they logged into my system and said, wow, you really do have a lot of Sonos gear. And I said, yeah, man, we do. But Sonos has had the week from hell. And it's been a real lesson in how not to do PR. And I do feel sorry for whoever is behind this because I have been in situations in my career where I have had to front foot changes that I know people are not going to like. And I should probably not be any more specific than that. But um, you know, some people will be aware of things in quite recent memory where I've had to front quite controversial decisions. And there is a lot of planning that goes into how do you announce these decisions to try and be as clear as possible while minimizing the damage. And I guess that's just a fancy word for spin, right? But man... Sonos badly miscalculated. If you haven't been keeping up with what's gone on, it's hard to imagine that you've missed this if you follow any tech press. <laughs> what's happened is Sonos came out with an email which they sent to all affected users. So I didn't actually get the email. The first that I found out about it was when I read it on Reddit. But they sent an email and they said there are certain products which are getting very, very old now. And you won't be getting updates for these products after May because they've reached the end of life. They've got limited memory. Some of the new features we want to add, we just can't do with these new products. Now, you know, that's, I guess, reasonable because Sonos is straddling that divide between being a, a speaker system. And some people have had speakers they've purchased 40, 50 years ago, and they still sound sweet and it's their sort of audio window on the world and they would never change their speakers and they just keep on going. So some people who are audiophiles perceive Sonos like that. But let's not also forget that Sonos products are computers and computers do have a much shorter shelf life than speakers do. OK, fair enough. But what they said that really annoyed people was when May comes around and we no longer support these products and they were basically as blatant as that to begin with. We will no longer support these products. They will be designated legacy devices. And you can go onto the Sonos website and you can log in and you can look on your account section and you can actually see right now whether you have any devices that are legacy 
and which devices are called modern. That's the nomenclature they're using. And then they said, if you continue to have a Sonos legacy product on your network, it's not only the Sonos legacy product that won't get updates, but your whole Sonos system won't get updates either. So let's say you've been a long-term Sonos customer. You've been in there since 2007, 2008, and you've got some of these older products that are serving you well. But over time, you've thought, ah, this Sonos thing is actually quite groovy. So you've built onto your system. And of course, that's what they want you to do. It's a multi-room architecture. So over time, they want to be in every room in your house. Now they are in every room in ours. If you have an older product, the product you started with, that's now designated legacy, as long as you keep that thing on your Sonos system, it basically prevents your whole system from getting an update. And you can understand why loyal Sonos customers who think Sonos has a good reputation, looks after their customers, are pretty perturbed. And that's putting it mildly. I mean, the traffic on Reddit and social media and Sonos's official forums, people are livid and so it hasn't gone down terribly well eventually after this kept getting worse and worse and it started affecting the share prices because Sonos is a public company now the chief executive stepped in and he he started off on Twitter by saying I'm sorry this has taken me so long I wanted to make sure we get this right and he really didn't say much that was different from what was originally said but perhaps a little clearer so what he then said was we will do bug fixes, but we won't do new features for these legacy products. And what we will do is sort of quarantine your old Sonos products. So it sounds like what they're saying is technically achievable at the moment is that when May comes along, you'll effectively have, if you are affected by these legacy products, you'll have two Sonos networks in your house. You'll have legacy systems that you can play things from, and you will also have modern products, but the two at the moment, it seems, will not be able to talk to each other, which completely decimates the whole room infrastructure premise of Sonos, the reason why people invest in Sonos. And this gear isn't cheap. And I don't really understand that. I, I don't know why the clever boffins at Sonos can't find a way, and maybe they will due to pressure, to bridge these systems in some way. For example... Sonos introduced AirPlay 2 to some of its speakers, and it's a great new feature. It's in the Sonos 1. It's actually in the new Play 5, and it's in the Beam. In the, I think it's in the base, but it's in the Beam. Uh, AirPlay 2 is in a few places now, and it's great. You know, It just helps you work with the Apple ecosystem seamlessly. And what you can do is you can group non-AirPlay 2-capable speakers with AirPlay 2-capable speakers. So even if you've got a you know, one AirPlay speaker in your house, you can create a room group that gives you AirPlay too. I don't fully understand what it is that's preventing Sonos from doing something similar here and essentially saying, okay, um, you won't get new features for your old products, but you will be able to group them still in one big room. It is a public relations fiasco, and it really is creating a lot of brand damage for Sonos. And I think the other thing that people are mindful of is that we know Sonos is being squeezed. Over the summer break, Sonos sued Google because they said Google has taken advantage of the partnership that Sonos has with them. And they've basically taken some of Sonos's trade secrets. 
they're larger, they're, they're more nimble, and they've been able to, um, according to, to, to Sonos, allegedly steal these secrets and put them in Google products, thus undercutting Sonos. So Sonos has a lot of competition, but the other thing is they're just not innovating fast enough. I love Sonos for its ease of use and its elegance, And yeah, but last year, Abbey Road came out in a deluxe edition form with a Dolby Atmos mix. Sonos will not play Dolby Atmos. There is no Sonos configuration you can put together that gives you Dolby Atmos. Why the hell not? High-res audio is still not supported by Sonos. Why on earth not? There are just a number of areas where Sonos is dropping the ball, and it is going to be interesting to see what happens when May comes along, because I think a lot of people are on the verge of uh, perhaps saying, over time, I'm getting out of the Sonos ecosystem. It is a real shame, but I think their future is a little shaky, and they certainly didn't earn any loyalty points with anyone. And I, I'm not as angry as, I mean, I'm not affected. So I'm not, I'm not livid, I'm not angry. I know the computer components have a short shelf life. And the other thing that Sonos is doing that is upsetting some people is they've got this new trade-up thing. So they've said, um, you'll get 30% off if you trade in any legacy product, you can get 30% off the new one and they brick them. Once you activate the trade-in program, a 21-day timer starts in your Sonos product that you're trading up and then it bricks and many people are saying that's not particularly environmentally friendly either why can't people just give them away or sell them cheap or whatever so I am getting my new Sonos port today but the jury's out man the jury is out Jonathan Mosin Mosin at Large Podcast here is someone who I'm sure is glad to have an afternoon off from the impeaching, from the impeaching. Hello, Jonathan. I couldn't uh, resist sending you a message when I heard you talking about the Zoom H6. Um, apologies for the quality of this audio. I'm recording it on my Bose frames, would you believe? Wow. Which is what I've been listening to you on. A um, couple of things I was going to say about the Zoom H6. I've had it for a couple of years. I adore it. I think it's an absolutely gorgeous machine. Um, and the flexibility that the clip-on mics give you is, is fantastic. Um, I have it set up so that I permanently have phantom power switched on for, for channels three and four, which are the two channels uh, on the, or the two tracks, or whatever you want to call it, channels, on the right-hand side of the machine. So that if I'm using a condenser mic, I don't have to get anyone to switch on phantom power. And then I know that the two left hand channel uh, the two uh, channels on the left i.e tracks one and two uh i can plug dynamic mics in there if i'm using it the other thing that's great is that the the top clip-on mics which come up as l slash r uh, when you're recording you can set it up to uh, have a backup recording made from those from that input at minus 12 db from uh, where your current level is set for that uh, for the L L and R uh, clip-on mics, um, which for us blind people is a fantastic fail-safe in case you slightly over-record one thing or another or a bit of something suddenly gets loud on you. Uh, you've got this minus 12 dB option uh, recorded in the, in the same folder, so it shows the L plus R. Uh, for those who don't know, the when when you make a recording, 
on the Zoom, it creates a folder. And depending on how many inputs you've got live, you might see LNR as one file and then track one, track two, track three and track four. If you're taking six inputs in it or uh, six uh, sources in at the same time. Um, so I have the mind, I have the backup and the L plus R shows up as L plus R backup. Uh, I think that's absolutely fantastic uh, for us. Um, what else do I do with it? Uh, I have a, a hard case that Zoom makes that fits in all the clip on microphones as well as the unit itself. Um, so it fits the the XY stereo microphone, the MS stereo, uh, the midside stereo microphone and the, the sort of gun mic, little gun mic that it comes with. The MS stereo microphone is creates gorgeous sound, incredibly forgiving when you're doing interviews and just waving the machine around in front of people. Um, you know, you don't have to be anywhere near as precise as you do with the XY capsule. So I think that's really good. And I bought a sort of foam, uh, well, uh, a fluffy dog um, yeah. <laughs> windshield for it, which just sits on the top if you're doing it outside. And the, the I just think the recordings are, are gorgeous on on that machine. One thing I'm curious when I heard you talk about it is I don't I haven't managed to make it do a a record bleep. Maybe that's in a new firmware update, but I'm intrigued to know how you've created uh, uh, a recording confirmation bleep. Maybe I've missed that in the menus, but I, I looked long uh, long and hard for that in the original uh, when I set it up. So maybe it's coming a firmware update. So do tell how you've done that. And it's great to have you back, of course. Thank you, Gary. That was a very helpful little message. I'm sure you're like me. Reveling in the impeaching, except you have to report and I just have to watch it. But yeah, good, good to hear from you. Uh, I can't tell you step by step how one does this, but you have two options, as I recall. You have a slate tone, like a kind of a whack, like a film tone that gets put every time you press record in the file, or you have 10 kilohertz tone. And you can specify how loud that tone is, and that gets placed at the beginning of your recording. And it just gives me some comfort that when I press the button, I hear the bleep, so I know that it's recording. So there is that. One of the things that I have understood about that, uh, that the mic, this, one of the stereo mics, is that when you are in standby and you use the, I think it's the menu up and down keys, it actually does expand and contract the stereo width and it goes to a quite a wide stereo width and all the way down to mono. And one of the things in the blurb that Zoom said you could do is you could adjust the width of the stereo file after you've recorded it. To do that, I think you have to save it in some sort of raw format with which I'm not familiar. And I don't know how that works. So if you or anybody has any information on that, how you take stuff from the H6 and then you adjust the stereo width after the fact, that would be very interesting. But yes, it's great to record, take the stems into Reaper, and the minus 12 dB failsafe is just fantastic. I, I was an idiot for holding out so long on the Zoom H6 and trying to get this sort of quality done with my iPhone. It is such a good toy. <laughs> Back by popular demand, it is another edition of the Bonnie Bulletin. How was your summer? Good, good. It's um, been back to work what, two weeks now. I yep. Guess it is. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and it only takes a few days when you feel like you need a holiday. Yeah, it's kind of weird. We had four days or a week and then we had a day off and then we had a four-day week. So, yeah, we were joking about we should take Auckland anniversary day off. That's tomorrow. Last Monday was Wellington anniversary day. So, yeah, hasn't really felt much like summer, though, because it's been quite cold. It hasn't been the best in Wellington. And for people who aren't aware, what happens is that we have these different provincial holidays where people get long weekends, but only parts of the country at different times. You have been pilloried and pilloried and polloried on the Facebook for your very insensitive well, I just said that I remarks. felt that Mary, uh, Megan and Harry were a bit of an embarrassment to the royal family. I know you did. Which is a lot nicer than what a lot of the British press is saying. Now, I have to say, I am not a member of any royal family, but I mean, I do have my little tiny share being a, I don't know, um, medium-sized fish in a small pond or something. People can be very rude and harsh, and it's made me more sensitive to being unduly harsh and judgmental about other people, you know? Yeah, but I mean, they, Megan is an actress. She's She so? grew up in Hollywood. She comes from, you know, her father was a prominent Hollywood lighting expert. So, I mean, she's, and Harry grew up in the royal family. They're used to this. You know? Well, I suppose to some extent you can say that Megan chose the life. She did chose Harry didn't, chose and he's yeah. been through enormous trauma. I mean, I'm not a royalist, and I think it's crazy that in 2020, New Zealand still has a woman in Britain as our head of state, who no one here voted for. It's it's an outrage. So in terms of the institution, I don't think it belongs anywhere near us. But still, I, I think I, I do have some compassion for Harry. And I also think there's an awful amount of racism going on where Megan's concerned. It's absolutely disgusting. Absolutely and I think it's disgusting. from both sides because she's – I've seen, you know, Afri or people of color criticizing her, that she's – Playing the color card, if you will, now when she's never shown any real interest in it before. And but you get that. I mean, people said things of that nature to do with Obama yeah, as well. And, and, and you she's know, half the, white. I mean, her father's white. So, well, you know, that's how you identify. But yeah. anyway, it was interesting to see, you know, normally your Facebook posts and the people on your Facebook are pretty mad mad. And I try not to bother with Facebook very much because mm -hmm. I just think there's just it's just awful most of the time. But man, you really got a ribbing. Well, ribbing. Think, That's but what I you think, got. and I should defend it because I think a lot of them. But you I, didn't. You wouldn't debate on I Facebook, should. though, would you? A you lot wouldn't. of them didn't get it because, I mean, the fact that Elizabeth is our queen, technically, she is the head of state. She here. is. No, technically so, about it. She is our head of state. She is our head of state. Yeah. And I do think that we should have, I mean, the fact that the public, a lot of a lot of what they do, their security, is publicly funded. Yep. They Their cottage that they re revamped was taxpayer funded. Yep. They wanted to split half and half and let's do some royal stuff when we feel like it and then we'll go do whatever it is we want to do the other half of the time. They had this all thought out before they even went to speak to the palace. I mean, they had this Instagram Instagram account with Sussex Royal Trade. That was a domain name. Yeah, yeah. Sussex Royal. Yeah. They, so they're they trademarking, that. you yeah. know, they don't want to be royal, but yet they want to sort of reap the benefits. Why have I got a Lord song stuck in my head? Mm. Royal. Well, yes, I think that the way they did it was very untasteful. Well, um, apparently it was a bit sprung on the palace as well. Sprung it was. Sprung you know, it was. And, and who does sprung. That? And then Meghan flops off sprung. to Canada and leaves Harry to deal with it. 
Yeah. Well, I just do feel some empathy for Harry. And I think what happened to him in 1997, he was a teenage boy and he was made to walk through the streets uh, with millions of people looking at him behind the coffin of his dead mother. That's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. He's had uh, He's had a rough time of it. But anyway, you know, I just, I, I'm kind of, I've become really careful about criticizing other people in that way. I mean, I'm happy to criticize people for political decisions they might make or whatever, because when you gain a role in politics or some public life like that, you've opted in for it. And I think your you, you, you political actions are fair game, but this just makes me a bit uncomfortable all the yeah, but Meghan chose royalty. She chose Harry, and I, and royalty came yeah, with Yeah, but her. she was also all gung-ho on mm. doing all these things, and that's changed, and, you know, I, I just, woman. I, I think hard they op- open themselves to criticism. No. I mean, you know. Not from me. I... They're not going to get a, they're never going to have a private life. I mean, eventually people are going to forget them. Someone, there was a, an article by a royal, in a royal journalist that covers the royal family today about, Harry's going to be the bloke in the corner that used to be Prince Harry at parties. Well, it reminds me a little bit of Edward VIII and mm-hmm. Wallace Simpson and how they went into kind of an exile in yeah, France. One thing we can thing. say for sure is that it will make a very good series of The Crown at yeah. some point. Gosh, that is a good series. We'll see how that Absolutely riveting. And for all the obsession you have, and, you know, like many of your kin in the United States of America with the royal family, I'm really amazed that you haven't watched no, The Crown. I just haven't watched it yet. It's so good. It's it's a really well-produced series. And the woman who plays the queen, it, it's just so well done. Gosh, it's riveting. It's a really good I just can't wait for the next series mm-hmm. to come out. Absolutely incredible. When they get to the Diana stuff, it is going to yeah. be so fascinating. But I yeah. was talking to a Canadian at work, and she says, as long as we don't have to pay for them in Canada. Really? Yeah. She says, I don't pay their stuff. <laughs> I don't pay their own security and whatever, because they will have to have yeah. security. So, you know. Would you like it if Harry and Meghan came to live here? No. Hmm. He sounds like an all right bloke. I don't think they would through. be happy here. Why not? Well, because what would they do? I mean, Megan is Hollywood, so she wants to do her acting and things like that. So, you know, she couldn't really do it unless she got up with Peter Jackson or something in the widow's. Well, there you go. She could live in Wellywood. And if we ever get round to selling Mosin Towers, they'd be quite happy here. You know? No, I don't think it's good enough for them. Of course it is. If it, You're a queen in my book, and if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for them. What about this Windows 7 malarkey? You keep telling me that there's quite a lot of angst or something Mm -hmm. to do with the fact that Microsoft has now made Windows 7 officially obsolete. Well, I've actually forgotten about Windows 7 because I've moved on to Windows 10, so I haven't really given it another thought. The only people I worry about are the federal employees I knew of at least last year that were still running it, so hopefully they've been upgraded. What is it with people in Windows 7? I mean, why would they want to keep it all this time well they were the same thing about xp yeah it's so funny how microsoft every so often they come up <laughs> with these perlers in terms of operating systems uh, windows 95 that hung around a while um, 98 was all right millennium was an absolute dud yeah, and vista, vista uh, xp went on and on and on vista was a dud windows 8 was a dud so they've had a few but then when windows 7 i heard the expression a while ago actually that windows 7 is the new xp yeah. And it does appear to be... People don't like change. 
No, well, um, apparently not. I don't understand in a blindness context why, though, in this case, because Mm -hmm. the work that Microsoft has done in Windows 10 with things Mm -hmm. like UI automation and things like that, although I have to say a lot of the benefits so-called of Windows 10 are really overrated for blind Mm -hmm. people. One of the things when I was doing a lot of geeking out and playing with technology over the summer that I really discovered was the app store or whatever they call it in uh, the Microsoft store where you get Windows 10 apps, modern apps, it's a wasteland of accessibility. There aren't that many really good modern apps that are screen reader friendly or do anything useful. You, You look at the vibrant app store in iOS and what they offer in the Windows world is just yuck, yuck, nothing happening. So why are people upset? I mean, I don't know, because I'm not. So I don't really, they just say they're upset, but they don't really say why. Right, right. Because really, if your system's capable of running Windows 7, it's capable of running Windows 10 in most cases, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. But anyway, maybe people can chime maybe in and tell me people can chime in, chime why. in and say why they're not Why, why are upset. people so upset? Yeah. And what else is, but we, we got a few gadgets over the summer, uh-huh. some of which took a voluminous amount of time to arrive. The air fryer. Yeah, the air fryer. What do you make of it? It's nice. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's little (laughs) idiosyncrasies and stuff. Um, It's messy to clean. I mean, it's not messy to clean, but boy, olive oil makes up all an oily mess that's hard to get off. Um, But it is dish. It's yeah, dishwashable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So Um, it cooked. We cooked so far. We've cooked steak and vegetables in it. The steak in the air fryer is so tender. Yeah, it is really we, We've good. had a good run with steak lately because we also got the OptiGrill, and I can't remember if we've talked on the show yeah, about the OptiGrill. Uh-huh. Yeah, and one of your culinary expert friends recommended that to us. Yeah, I don't know if she has an air fryer or not. I'll have to find out. Yeah, but the OptiGrill is really cool. For those who weren't listening when we talked about it, essentially it has a bunch of sensors, mm-hmm. and so you specify or you, you decide how – tender you want say your steak to be mm-hmm. and you'll get a ping when it's done to rare and medium rare and um it's it's very good but the the steak and the air fryer is surprisingly really tender i would like to see how the vegetables do because they they sort of were disappointing i mean they were okay but i don't know what i was expecting i thought they were going to be crunchier like french fries or something mm. but for me i like steamed veggies we've yeah. got this cool special microwave that yeah. does steaming and that's i like veggies yeah, tomorrow night we're going to attempt something that's a cross between a kumara and a squash and kumara is a sweet potato yeah. that's um, and um, i can't remember what variety of sweet potato zucchini. that's unique to new zealand so we're going to chop that up and i think i'm going to cook a, I have a chicken to thaw out to cook, so we'll have chicken in this vegetable thing. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, that sounds really good. Yes, it's, it's, it's good. It's mm-hmm. good getting into this stuff. Yep. The Amazon Smart Oven in the United States, that sounds like one heck of a cool gadget. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't seem to be able to get it here, no. which I'm very sad about. But we don't cook much anymore either. Well, we don't. We get home in the weekdays, and we it's just, really late. We, we get this meal delivery service. Very nice, fresh meals. Yeah, they delivered. are good, but yeah. it. I mean, they are really good, and I recommend them to people all the time. A lot of my clients who seem interested. But sometimes you just would really like to. We we Wellington traffic, despite it being the summer holiday, is still pretty bad, and will only get worse because of roadworks. Uh, they have a street in Newtown where I work that's closed down for six months because of a sewer line bust that happened. 
And it's just they're doing all this road work. And Wellington's just growing and they can't, they have not done anything with infrastructure here. So it's it's fun talking to the Uber drivers and the taxi drivers because they rage and rage about the Wellington and the Rage into the light. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, so it takes us – well, the northern suburbs are building up. That's that's the big thing. People are have moved out towards the Copity Coast and Port Rua. And, the, the and that's good because it means that in the 11 years I've now owned this property, it will have appreciated hugely, yeah. hugely. There's a lot yeah. more value in it. Yes. So that's good. But you are chomping at the bit to move? I am because, I mean, I appreciate I like it here. that you like it, here. I like it here. There's nothing wrong with your butt. This is I'm the contented f- in my contentment. You should be happy about well, that. Well, I'm happy, I'm but what chill. about my contentment? Your contentment is of the <laughs> utmost priority. Please because hold, and your call will be answered <laughs> in the order that it was received. But, I mean, for until I moved to New Zealand, I was used to living places where that I could walk to things. You know, mm. if I wanted to walk down and get a cup of coffee, I could. If I needed to go grab some milk... Right, right. So yeah. then, I'm sure we'll find somewhere that's kind of you know in the heart of things in a village atmosphere and stuff. But I am going off the idea of an apartment only because I you know we've got all this sonotastic well, equipment. I, I was telling one of my coworkers the other day. I don't think you would be happy in an apartment building. Um, and what did your coworker say? was okay i mean they were they weren't judgmental about it they said you know you had to know what you were like because we don't have the apartments here in wellington that they would have in new york or boston that are like little houses um i mean i in a way i like the concept of apartment living but what i don't want to do is to feel like i have to be constrained i mean mm-hmm. here i can crank up pink floyd or do what i want to do and nobody cares, you know. Nobody cares. But, but if if you if you've got somebody below you, mm-hmm. and you've got one of those big subs from Sonos going through the roof, you could understand why they might be a little bit disgruntled about that. Yeah. I can't imagine them being gruntled about it. Mm. Well, I work in Newtown, which is a city fringe neighborhood. Um, mm. It's pretty close. I to, used to live there. Yeah, a long time ago on mm. Adelaide Road. Yeah, which I would not want to live on because mm. it's loud. Mm. Um, but to get from your office to Newtown would be very easy. Oh, yes. It uh, be very cheap. And But I don't really have – the only thing I've really seen in Newtown was Adelaide Road, and you do not. And there are houses along Adelaide Road, but it's not somewhere you want to live because it is loud. Even yes. when I'm sitting – I mean, it's and it's The constant heavy, barrage fast, of traffic it's is – fast. It's not yeah. like a city street. <laughs> yes. But I did walk into – and I had to go see a client the other day, and I did go into a neighborhood in Newtown that was very nice. Um, it was very quiet, and there's a lot of townhouses and things back in there that are really nice. The bus stops – there's a, a, a complex that they've built in there of townhomes, and then up the road you keep walking, and there's a school and a park and a retirement village and so I guess if we get old, we can, you know, sell the house and move to the retirement village. But anyway, hmm. it is just a few block. The bus stops right on the street, the number one. And um, you can walk up a couple of blocks and be out on Rutherford Street. And you have a new world that's in walking distance. You have it's a, a countdown that's in walking distance. That's another supermarket. You have a, a I'm pe- doing the translation. Yeah, you have a pita pit. Yeah, that's, that's an eatery. In, that's an eatery. That's mm. in walking distance. You have a curry pot. 
That's an eatery. That's an eatery. You have a Thai restaurant. That's an eatery. You have a Subway. You have a McDonald's. That's an eatery. You have... Um, yes, I get the idea. Sh- I mean, there are now, things you can, can I do. just say, yeah. I, I think that we've all come up with a consensus. I mean, there are things that you need to do. So, yeah, yeah j- j- just to be clear, I'm not opposing this move. I'm mm-hmm. just not facilitating the move. I've yeah. got other big mm-hmm. fish to fry right now in my, yeah. my, my work and everything. So, uh, but um, we do have, over the years, we've done things. We've taken out alarm systems and added mm-hmm. new ones, and we've done various things. So there are little holes in the wall where things used to be. And if we want to just really add the finishing touches to get the premium price for this, mm-hmm. we need to get a plaster yeah. in and do a few things and like that. So. It's a pain in the butt. I mean, whether you're moving it is. down it the is. road And I've moved, you know, I've been here now for 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went through quite a period of moving and that's why I'm quite contented in but, my contentment, but I'm sure we'll find consensus. Uh, that one will be continued after the show, that's for sure. Thank you so much for being a part of episode 19 of Mosin at Large, the first of this format for the last year of this decade. Jonathan at MushroomFM.com is my email address. You can attach an audio clip or write something down or call the listener line on 864-60-MOSIN. Mosin at